Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome again. Another Sunday. What are we like? Five, six, thirty of these? I don't know. Yeah. Boo. It's been a while, um, but uh, we're glad to be here with you guys today, and we uh, we trust that uh, it's a good Sunday for you, and it's been a good week for you. Um, I know a lot of people have had victories this week, and some people have had challenges as well, and we've got a few of those people on our list. Uh, we appreciate everybody who calls in prayer requests, and so Boo's here with us this morning to kind of lead our hearts in prayer and to get us started. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind, uh, just bow your heads with us, if you would, and let's just go to our Father in a word of prayer. Yeah, Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you for this great day. It's so beautiful outside, and we just thank you for your gifts that you give us every day, and we just blessed in so many ways, and God, there's so many that's hurting today, and we just pray for Carlos Oye. Uh, he's uh, has cancer. Uh, we also just pray for Ashley Vidrine and her daughter, Day Day. Uh, we pray for Amy and Kelly May. Uh, they having uh, back trouble. Uh, we pray for Brandy Scott, uh, safe delivery uh, Thursday. Also, Austin Musso uh, delivering her baby Tuesday. We pray for Rhonda Morgan, who has uh, having anxiety attacks. Uh, we also pray for Jason Hanks. Uh, we pray for Drew Bro and Chris Doty. Uh, they were in an ATV accident. Uh, we also pray for CJ Spell, who's uh, he's trying to recover from this virus. We pray for Nicole Foreman for her and her girls. God, we lift all these names up to you because we know you the almighty healer. And God, we just pray for these people that they can... Uh, recover and get back to doing their normal lives and maybe the things and trials they're going through. And God, we just, we thank you for answered prayer and we just thank you for being our Lord of Lords and we lift all this up to you. We love you. We just pray we always give it honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Boo. We appreciate you being here. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about maybe a Bible character that a lot of times... <laughs> We don't necessarily equate with the situation in which we find ourselves. But in reality, we, I think a lot of us have probably gotten to a place right now where we're feeling a little bit, well, maybe a little a bit frustrated. Um, and uh, a lot of people certainly are. And it's understandable, right? Um, this has been going on for quite a while. A lot of us have been at home for quite a lot longer than we're used to being at home. And so uh, we're going to spend some time this morning just talking about, well, how do we survive the quarantine? We started talking about that last week, if you remember that. And, uh, and how is it that we get ourselves prepared to deal with these kinds of things? And uh, truthfully, uh, the quarantine is difficult for us, not just personally, but relationally as well, isn't it? And one of the places, as we talked about last week, was, was dealing with other people, with the people that we go to the store with, with our family, um, even with our spouses and people that we're very, very close to. This week, we're going to talk about a different kind of relationship, but a different kind of relationship that can definitely be affected by the kinds of things that have happened over the past few weeks and month. And that is our relationship with God. If we're not careful, our relationship with God can definitely be affected by the kinds of things that have happened um, recently. And uh, we are not used to being together with our church family. We're not used to having an opportunity to, to gather together with people in small groups and, with, uh, and in, in uh, support groups of different kinds. Things that we are used to having every week. 
right now where a lot of us are kind of on our own, alone at home. And, and while there's a lot of good that can come from that, it also gives an opportunity for Satan to sneak into our lives and to really challenge us in ways that we would rather he not challenge us. I think that in a lot of ways, this particular crisis has helped us all to learn a couple things, um, learn a couple things about ourselves, learn a couple things about churches. Uh, a good friend of mine this week that works with a lot of churches and church plants uh, told me that they did a, a survey this past uh, couple weeks of church leaders. And um, about 60 to 70% of those church leaders report they are more stressed right now than any other time in ministry. And, and I think that's because there's just a lot that's going on while nothing's going on, right? And, and sometimes, sometimes God puts us in these kinds of places to deal, with, to deal with us, to put us in a place where we take a good hard look at where we are, where we've been, and where we're headed so that we can come make the kind of changes that we need to make to be better in the long haul. Y'all know the story of Jonah. It's kind of a strange story and a strange book. It's smack dab in the middle of the prophecy section of the Old Testament. And uh, it's kind of funny because you look at Jonah and you're like, where's the prophecy in Jonah, right? There's eight words of prophecy in English and there's only four of those or four words in Hebrew. Um, if you look at it in the original language, really it's not a book about prophecy. It's more really a book about a prophet, about a man that God called to go on a very difficult assignment and a man who struggled to complete that mission. As American Christians, I think that we probably can identify a little bit with Jonah and where he was. Certainly as Americans, we can identify with where Israel was at this time because Israel is at a place where they are very prosperous. They're fairly secure. Their borders are, are safe. Um, they're not seen the invasions that they have at other point in time in their, in their history. And yet, they are very, very casual in their relationship with God. Their devotion to God is questionable. Um, as a whole, the nation of Israel has moved away from God. They've ignored prophets like Elijah and Elisha who have come using powerful preaching and life metaphors to really show them where they are. And they've warned them that if this continues, well, there's going to be dire consequences. And Jonah is a prophet in this time place, in this era in Israelite history. But Jonah is called, well, called to deliver a message to people that are not God's people specifically. In fact, in many ways, they look nothing like God or any of his people. <laughs> He's called to go to the Assyrians, to their capital city of Nineveh, and preach against the city, as God said to tell the people that in 40 days, God is going to destroy this city. And, and as you look at the place that these people hold in history, you kind of understand why it was that God had lost his patience. This was a particularly evil and dark society. They, they had a way of killing just about everybody in a city that they conquered. They would, they would make pillars out of skulls of the people that they, that they killed. They would put the heads of their enemies and on necklaces and wear them around their neck. This was a really difficult group of people. And, and the interesting thing is, is that God calls his man to go and to tell these people that he's about to destroy this civilization. Now, now if you were to put a number to it, 
as Jonah probably did in his mind. He might not have been a statistician, but he, he probably thought about this. What is the chance that these people are gonna respond favorably to this message? You would have to put the results of that well below, well, 5%, maybe one or 2% if you're really ambitious. And so when Jonah gets a message, Jonah makes a decision. And we're going to talk about that decision and what happened after that decision this morning. Because in many ways, well, in many ways, Jonah's situation reflects our own. And by looking at Jonah's story and how God worked with Jonah, I think we can understand some of the ways that God is trying to work with us as well. So let's jump into it this morning. Because what Jonah does is he sails his life into a storm of absolute conviction. If you have your Bible with you this morning, you can turn with me to Jonah, um, the first chapter. And we're going to read through this text somewhat today. Jonah, the first chapter. We're going to pick up in verse 1, chapter 1, the beginning of the story. I'm going to read some of it to you. You can read along with me. And then we'll stop and we'll talk about this. Jonah's book kind of has this abrupt opening. It just drops in on Jonah. It really doesn't tell us much about him. It doesn't give us a lot of context for his life. It's telling us exactly what we need to know. So here it is. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Sometimes we feel like God isn't paying attention to what's going on in the world, and God doesn't notice the things that are happening. And nothing could be farther from the truth. But God is patient, and God wants people to change on their own. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But God has noticed the wickedness of this city for a long time. But he's waited until this moment to do something about it. And so he says, finally, I'm about to destroy this place. Jonah, you go let him know that it's about to happen. But in verse number three, it says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish, which is in modern-day Spain, we believe. He went down to Joppa to a seaport. He found a ship bound for that port. After paying for the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee away from the Lord. Jonah literally, if you look at this geographically, is trying to go in the opposite direction of where God is calling him. But the crazy thing is, is that you can't run from God, right? We all know this story. We've probably sang it in songs and studied it since we've been little kids. If you've never heard this story, you're in for a delightful and interesting story in the Old Testament because this narrative really kind of breaks down very quickly and, uh, and really teaches us some valuable lessons. Verse number four, Jonah chapter one says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. If you were watching a few Wednesday nights ago, we, we took a look at kind of the remains of a ship from that first century period, or first century period, a couple thousand years ago. This is a good bit of time before that. Boats were not big aluminum hauled, massive hulks with powered motors in those days. These are, these are wooden boats constructed by hand, put together fairly flimsy. And, and, and so this boat is being buffeted by these waves. It's threatening to break up. And all the sailors, in verse number five, were afraid. And they each cried out to his own God and they threw cargo in the sea to lighten the ship. And the idea was to get the ship with a little bit more, uh, a little bit more safety between them and the, and the waves that were breaking over it. But Jonah had gone below deck and he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. Jonah is relaxed. Jonah says, I've been laying awake nights worrying about preaching to Nineveh. 
I'm glad I finally made this decision. I finally have the peace that I've been looking for. You know, the funny thing about life is, guys, that sometimes when we're running away from God, initially, we have a lot of peace. Initially, we feel good about that decision. Initially, we think this is something I should have done a long time ago. But it never lasts very long. The kind of peace that God provides is a kind of peace that oftentimes right up front, things are really, really distasteful. And the storms can get really, really rough. And the waves can really break over the bow of our lives up front. But in the long run, we sail into peaceful and more peaceful waters. Jonah thought that he had escaped God and escaped God's call. All the while above deck, all mayhem was breaking loose. And the captain goes below deck and he, and, and he said to him in verse number six, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we don't perish. The sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and see who is responsible for this calamity. They were superstitious. And in general cases, they would have probably been wrong in that superstition. But in this one, they were exactly right to be suspicious. They cast lots and it fell on Jonah. And so when they ask him, why, uh, tell us who is responsible for making this trouble for us and what kind of work do you do and where do you come from and what is your country and for what people are you? In other words, they're like, hey man, why, why, are the Lord, why is the Lord so angry at you, buddy? What do you do? What have you done to make God mad? And he answered in verse number nine, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I'll change up the story a little bit. He pretty much said, I'm a preacher. I work for God, all right? And, uh, and, and, uh, and the people in verse number 10, they're ter- they were terrified or this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from God because he'd already told them so. Now the sea was getting rougher and rougher and so they asked him, what do we do to make us calm, the, or calm down the sea for us? And Jonah told him the only thing that he could think of. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and then it will become calm. I I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Something else that we should just notice as we're reading through this text this morning is that when we run from God and the storms of life begin to build and become more and more intense, oftentimes we're not the only ones who pay the price for our running. A lot of times the other people that are in the boat with us, they also will pay the price for our running. In this case, it was sailors and the captain of the boat. But in our lives, it might be our family, it might be our friends, it might be our church family, it might be coworkers, it might be other people that are are inextricably linked to us. They're the ones that are also taking on water as we take on water. Jonah thinks that he's gonna buy a ticket, jump on a boat and sail out of God's will for his life. And sometimes I've thought that I could buy a ticket and sail away from God. And I'll bet you have as well. But the truth is, guys, that God pursues us. Those who God love, he disciplines. You remember that passage in, in the text of scripture? And I've seen God do this time and time again, both personally in my life and in the lives of other people where they know there's a sin that's going on in their life. And, and time and time again, things happen. They get found out. Their best laid plans fall apart. Stuff that would never have happened in a normal day happens. It's God chasing us. The best thing that we can do is simply submit to that chasing. Say, God, here I am. 
why am I so crazy to think that I can run away from you? You know, there's some funny contrasting attitudes in this text that we read. <laughs> because a pagan, pagan boat captain is the one who comes below deck and tells God's prophet, one of God's own people, that he should be in prayer. The pagan sailors will work to save Jonah's life because in verse number 13, it says, instead, the men did their very best to row back to land, but they couldn't for the sea grew even wilder than it was before. And then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. They were working harder to save Jonah's life while Jonah is running away from the very one who could save him. The sailors understand the seriousness of Jonah's disobedience even better than Jonah does. <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing, isn't it? Interestingly enough, these men are convicted by God's greatness. Notice what it says in verse 4. It said, Lord, you have done as you pleased. They took, or 14 rather, they took Jonah, they threw him overboard. The raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and it made a vow to him. There's a couple things that have happened right there. There's a couple points of conviction that we see in this story. Number one, we see that these men were convicted of God's greatness. As they set sail that day from Joppa towards Tarsus, I'm guessing that these guys were probably your stereotypical sailor-type people. They <laughs> weren't particularly religious. They weren't particularly smooth and, smooth and, and uh, cultured sort of gentlemen. They were rough men of the sea, used to taking chances, used to powering the boat and sailing the boat with the strength of their hands and the knowledge of their minds. And then they came up across a God that was bigger than all the things that they had brought to sea that day. And they were convicted by God's greatness. I just want to read again what they said in verse 14 because this is really kind of phenomenal. They said, Lord, please don't kill us for taking this man's life, which is understandable. Don't hold us accountable for this innocent man. But then notice what they say to God in this prayer. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. You know, sometimes I forget that God works to will and to act according to his good purpose. And it's not necessarily always according to Jason's good purpose. Sometimes God brings us into seasons of stormy weather because other people need that help or because we, we maybe need to make a change. And then in verse 15, they took Jonah, they threw him overboard. And then what did they do immediately following that? They offer a sacrifice to God. Isn't that remarkable? And they made vows to him. And I can only imagine that these vows were what we would say today was repentance. Where they came clean and they said, God, look, we haven't been the people that we need to be. We haven't been the men we need to be. These are things going to change from this point on. When we encounter the stormy weather, guys, we ought to be convicted of God's greatness. But we are also convicted of our own failures. And in the case of Jonah, certainly this happened. As they bring him up on deck and they're like, hey man, tell us what you know. In verse number nine, Jonah has to come to terms with, well, with his own brokenness. He says, 
I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord of God of heaven who made the land and the sea. What was Jonah thinking? That he could run away from God on the very waters that God created? We might laugh today. We might say, oh, silly Jonah, right? But we do the same thing. We try to bury ourselves in entertainment, bury ourselves in work. Sometimes we even bury ourselves in religion and in church attendance. Maybe for some of us right now, that's what makes some of this so difficult. We're used to coming and being encouraged and lifted up and motivated by the church family. But when all that was taken away, all of a sudden, we feel like we don't have anything anymore. And if that's where you are, can I submit to you this morning that your relationship with Jesus Christ isn't where it needs to be? Listen, none of us like this. None of us are comfortable with this. All of us would prefer to be together as a family of God because we, we have such so many things that are unif- unify us and pull us together. We have so much in common with one another. It's just natural for us to enjoy those meals, enjoy those fellowship moments, enjoy the handshakes and the hugs that we get on Sunday mornings. It's in, natural for us to enjoy that corporate worship and the reading of God's word. It's natural for us to enjoy that communion all together in a room, partaking of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus in the form of bread and juice. Those are all perfectly normal and natural things. But if that's all you have, you're missing something really big. You're missing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, didn't we do a lot of things in your name? But he said, But I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You knew about me, but I want you to know me. I want you to have a real relationship with me. We're all looking forward to that time where we can be back together again as a church family. But right now, we're rather like Jonah. Jonah is just about to encounter a quarantine of a very different kind. He's not stuck in his house. In fact, no, he's going to be stuck to think about his failures and his disobedience in the most unique of places. Psalms 139 is a powerful psalm. It says, where can I go to flee your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, well, you are there. If I, I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold fast. Jeremiah said in, verse Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31 and verse 19, he said, after I strayed, I repented. I came to understand. I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Jeremiah wasn't the kind of young man that he wished that he was. And as he looked back at that, he, he looked at that and he said, you know what, I, I was a failure. Second Peter 3, 9, the Bible says that God is not slow in fulfilling his promises. Some people count slowness, or in the old King James would say slackness. God isn't slacking, but he's patient towards us, not not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God could have taken Jonah's life in that moment, but God would have rather be patient and work with Jonah because he had a great mission for Jonah still to accomplish. And so it says in verse 17, simply this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. 
Maybe you've been in the belly of your house for too many days and too many nights right now. And hey, I get it, right? But Jonah has found himself in a place that we all find ourselves in a place of once in a while. And I'm guessing your house is a whole lot nicer than his changing room. Sometimes when we find ourselves in the quarantine, we find ourselves placed in the changing room. Not the kind of changing room where you go and try on a new shirt or a new pair of jeans. This is a changing room where <clears throat> you change who you are. You become a different kind of person. In God's changing room, it's not outwardly that we're changing, it's inwardly that we are being renewed, that we are being refreshed. And there's several different things that happen in the changing room. In fact, there's three very important things that happen here. And if they don't happen, we've missed a great opportunity. The first of these is simply this. When we're in the changing room, we're broken. If you're going to change something, one of the first things that you have to do is take something off or remove something so that you can fix it. You can replace that something. And God is going to take Jonah in all of his arrogance, in all of his rebellion, in all of his disobedience, and God's going to put Jonah in a place where Jonah has to worry that he's about to be digested by this great fish that God has provided. But in this moment, Jonah has been stripped away of so many things. His own power, his own ability, his own freedom. Instead, he's in a place of absolute Brokenness. Notice what Jonah says in Jonah 3 and 4 here. It says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood waters surrounded me. All the waves and the billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. In the moments that he finds himself going over the border, or the, the bow of that boat, and being consumed in this water, Jonah experiences something a lot of people that have been in that kind of place have experienced. Time just seems to slow down. Jonah has to think that he's about to die. And the one thing that Jonah wants to reflect on is that place where God dwells in his time. See, today we, we have that beautiful opportunity of, of not having God dwell in a, in a building or a tent made with hands, as Scripture says. But God dwells within us in the hearts and the lives of each and every person who has been washed by the blood of Christ, cleansed in the waters of baptism. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? But see, Jonah didn't have that opportunity. For him, God's presence was represented in that holy of holies, that little 10 by 10 cubicle in the very back of the temple where the, where the Ark of the Covenant was located and where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. It was there that Jonah recognized God's presence being with him. And he said, in these last fleeting moments, it's that, the relationship that I have with you that I'm going to focus on. You know, there's two very, very different prayers that Jesus talks about in Luke, the 18th chapter. And while we're not going to spend a lot of time looking at these today, these two prayers really reflect two completely different attitudes when approaching God. You might know that it's the story there, Jesus told, the parable of the Pharisee and the, and the tax collector, the publican. And they both went up to pray, the Pharisee on one hand and the tax collector on the other. And if you look in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 18 of the book of Luke, it says, a Pharisee stood and he prayed like this with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, 
extorters and unjust and adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. On and on he goes. And there's a couple things that you notice about his prayers. The Pharisee makes no mention of his own sin. People tend to have the ability to see sin in others, but not to recognize it in themselves. And if that's where we are today, that's a great warning light for us. If we haven't really thought about our weaknesses and our failures in these last few weeks, maybe we need to spend some time in this week ahead seriously considering where we are with God. The second thing is, is that this, this Pharisee holds up his, his righteous deeds kind of to show God and to let the rest of the world know just how good of a person that he was. But in contrast, let's look at this tax collector's prayer because that's what Jesus did. In verses, verse number 13, Jesus said, And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as even raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat on his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The first guy had this long, flowery prayer in which he couldn't stop talking about how good he was and how much he did for God. But in the changing room, sometimes God takes off all that fancy, all of that outside, all that adornment that we like to pile upon ourselves. And he strips us down to where this tax collector found himself. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Who are we comparing ourselves to? 1 John, the first chapter, verse 9 is a very comforting verse. It simply says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I don't want to take a lot of time this morning and talk about everything that we could on that text. Certainly, we could preach a whole lesson on just that text, right? But there's just a couple things that we should notice quickly. Number one, it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Forgiveness for God means as far as east is from the west, those sins are completely gone. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to wash away all of our unrighteousness. Some of us have fallen to two camps. Some of us are never willing to confess that we have any sin and be real with God or others about our real failings. Others of us are very aware of our sins, but we refuse to let go of them and we refuse to allow God's forgiveness to wash us clean. We constantly remind ourselves and others of who we are. And, and the Bible says that we need to confess and allow God's forgiveness to cleanse us. First John, the first chapter, verse eight, simply says this, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, we're lying to ourselves. So the first thing that happens here in the changing room is that, well, Jonah's broken and we're broken and it's okay to be broken because God can't start reconstructing us until we take off all the other stuff that we're trying to hang on our life to pretty it up. But once we're stripped down to the bare bones of who we are as a person, God chooses to allow us to focus or refocus in that time in the changing room. Jonah, second chapter, verse number seven again. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay uh, regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah said, when I thought it was over, the first place I went to was you, Lord. If you lost everything today, if you thought your life was just about over, where would you turn to? I think probably all of us would say, well, to God, and that would be the exact right place for us to go. 
we need to ask ourselves that follow-up question. Is it then God that I live every day for? Am I truly seeking first the kingdom of God and living the way God would have me live, trusting that he will add to my life and give to me the things that I need? When I lost all hope, Jonah said, my thoughts turned to the Lord. And guys, God wants us to walk with him every moment of every day. He doesn't want to put us in a place where we've lost all hope for us to learn to focus on him. The third and last thing that we notice that happens in this changing room is that we become thankful. I know you think thankful, Jason. Yeah, thankful. You think back a month or two ago, all the things that we just took for granted in life. Some of those things we may never, ever have again. Some of those things that we were just used to having because we always had them. We always got together as a church family. We always had Sunday morning services. We always could, could ask people to, to, to give us a hug or, or to put their arm around us and pray for us. We just figured out the way it always would be because it was the way it always had been. And then something changes everything. And we realize all the things that we weren't really as thankful for. We get thrown at home and all of a sudden we, we realize, you know what, I have a really nice home. I have a lot of blessings here. I have family and friends that love me. We're thankful for things that maybe before we just never noticed. Jonah too was thankful in verse number nine. He says, but I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Jonah said, I became thankful in the belly of this great big fish. I learned to be thankful that after I was thrown out of this ship that the Lord was there and provided a way for my salvation. You know, it reminds me so much of, of where we find Paul and Silas in that epic moment in Acts the 16th chapter where they had done a good turn, they had done a good deed and for their trouble, they had been, well, beaten and imprisoned and thrown into a jail. And it tells us at midnight in, in Acts 16 verse 25, it says at, after midnight or at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and they sang praises to God and the prisoners heard them. These guys decide that at the middle of the night with their backs raw from a beating after they had healed a girl and done something good for the world that they would have a worship service, that they would pray to God. I think probably few of us have ever been in circumstances like what Paul and Silas found themselves. But I want you to remember while that story ends because not only the prisoners heard them, but the jailer heard them. And when God opened the doors of that jail, as God can open the doors of any jail when he chooses to, he used an earthquake in that moment. When God did that, that jailer and his whole household decided it was time to follow the God of Paul and Silas. Matthew, the fifth chapter, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Then he goes on to say, Because they did it to the prophets that came before you. And they did it to Jesus. Sometimes people don't treat us with the respect that we deserve, but it's okay. It's not about, life isn't about things going easily. It's about us being thankful, content with what we have in the moment. Paul writes this as we close in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you've never read the rest of the story of Jonah, you'll find out what happens. <laughs> Jonah eventually gets vomited up on a beach. He goes to the city of Nineveh. <laughs> he preaches against it, just like God told him to. 
And there was a huge revival that broke out in that city. My hope and prayer is that there's a great revival that breaks out in our nation. And it's going to start with people doing what Paul wrote here in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. When the church rejoices always, when we pray without ceasing, when we give thanks in every circumstance, whether we like them or whether we don't, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This morning, we're going to remember what, what it was that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross when he shed his blood, when he allowed his body to be broken so that our, forget, our sins and our failings could be washed away and could be forever dealt with. And so we're going to give you a moment here to go ahead and, and find those emblems, that the bread and cup. Maybe you made your own communion bread or maybe you've stopped by the church building throughout the week and grabbed a few of those ready-made kits. We'll give you a few moments to go and find those kits as Brad comes and he's going to deliver a devotion from Romans that kind of prepares our hearts to receive the body and the blood of the Lord. We do this every Sunday as a church family in remembrance of what it is that God has done for every one of us. And it's an extraordinary gift that we've been given. So go ahead, take a moment, find those emblems, and then uh, bring them back and, and we're going to join Brad as he leads our heart in the devotion.